Hey, entrepreneurs, it's Steph here. Do you want to experience what it's like to be part of our Entrepreneurial League community of founders? Now is your chance. New member open enrollment begins on June 10th, and so does our Experience Week. I really want you to have the opportunity to experience what it's like to be part of the most supportive community that will be here to support you at all stages of your business journey during our Experience Week. This will be a five-day virtual event series, and it starts on Monday, June 10th through Friday, June 14th. You're going to get access to live networking and learning events, business growth strategies, as well as office hours with Kim Perel, who is a CEO and serial entrepreneurista, as well as a prominent angel investor. You will also get access to a session on how to win grants with Kat Weaver and Katie Dunn, founders of Power to Pitch. Plus, our mentor, Carrie Kirpin, will be teaching a session all about how to build a profitable business that can sell for more money. And of course, I'll be hosting two info and networking sessions where you can really get an inside look at all of the exclusive benefits and resources that are offered only inside of our Entrepreneurs League community. Plus, you'll have the chance to meet and build relationships with current members. You can register today for Experience Week over at entrepreneurs.com forward slash experience week. That's entrepreneurs.com forward slash experience week to join us for a week of free virtual events. I cannot wait to meet you and be part of your business journey. I'll, I'll give three short pieces of advice. So yes, uh, invest in your friends. That's I mean that's that's advice for the one percent, I suppose. But it made sense for me at the time to listen to that because I was not in the insiders club. Um, Better advice probably comes from my mother, who always reminds me um, that in the morning everything feels better. It's so simple, but it's so true. Whatever problem we feel like we have in the moment will probably be erased by sunshine the next day. At 23 years old, Soraya Darabi managed the digital partnerships and social media marketing for the New York Times. Not a bad start. Since then, she has played a substantial role in the success of several amazing companies. Her first three angel investments turned out to be hugely successful, and she is now one of the managing partners and founder of Trailmix Ventures, an early-stage investment firm focused on the future of living well. Much of this may have to do something with supporting your friends, paying attention to trends, and knowing when to take action. Coming up, you'll hear Soraya on her journey, investing in her network, believing in oneself, sharing passions, and being a trailblazer for women and diversity. This is the Entreprenista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have, with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done, and what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram with no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. So Trail Mix Ventures, uh, you are the co-founder and managing partner, and I want to learn all about uh, what you're currently doing at Trail Mix Ventures. But before we get into that, how did you end up getting into venture capital? You know, it was um, a long and windy road. <laughs> So I'll take you back and I will try to make this succinct for the listening pleasure of um, the entrepreneurista's <laughs> audience. And by the way, I really love being called an entrepreneurista because when I was in high school, I was a barista. So Ooh. I paid for my first car and now I'm an entrepreneur. So I sort of think the, the amalgamation of the two is really fitting. Um, I was obsessed with music in high school. I used to download Napster, LimeWire, and Kazaa MP3s so much so that my mother was worried that the feds would break through <laughs> to my Minneapolis apartment where I grew up and arrest me. But it didn't happen. And I went to college in Washington, D.C., graduated from Georgetown in 2005. And while I was in college, I was something called a D.C. college marketing rep for Sony Music where it was my job to help artists locally figure out how to promote their music. And we'd host live events in real record stores, RIP physical records. And we would host meet and greets for artists like Howie Day and John Mayer and Tori Amos and Nas and Bone Thugs and Harmony. This is really dating myself um, outside of the venue. But then what I became addicted to um, 
back at age 1920 was um, understanding this thing that people were calling convergence. Why were all of my friends like me obsessed with getting our music through MP3s? And why did I work for a major label uh, which the, had these phenomenal artists to work with, and and why were they so afraid of digital media and communication? That's a longer topic for another day. But how did I get into venture? Well, it all starts there. I my senior year uh, went to the Washington Post dot com to figure out if the media world knew more. Let's just put it that way than the music world did about convergence and. As an intern um, in Courthouse, Virginia, for what was then a separate siloed building for the dot-com division of the Washington Post, they've since merged, but I found that fascinating. Let's just put the digital in an entirely different building. Uh, My job was to help Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists, honestly, my heroes. So this is not meant to be patronizing at all, but I'd help them understand what RSS stood for, real simple syndication, and how what we called interlinking back then, which is so old school, Um, but how uh, basically receiving your news via email, via RSS feeds, everything as a precursor to Twitter would help these journalists better understand um, and enhance their journalism. And then I went to New York City after college and had a pretty similar job at Condé Net, uh, an entry-level job out of college. But the highlight there was that um, in the marketing department of Condé Net, which was then the Digital division of Condé Nast, an aspirational media company known most famously for Vogue and Vanity Fair and Bon Appetit magazines, etc. I was asked to um, draft up a press release called Wired Acquires Reddit. And I said, well, what the hell is Reddit? And doing a little research and digging online, I realized it was a social news company founded by three young men my age um, who graduated from college uh, not too far away from me the same year. And about two days later, they walked into our office, got very plush office, I might add. I was sitting in a cubicle. And I got to know them very lightly, very socially, and became fascinated with how three young men my age uh, were able to effectively build what is now, flash forward to 2019, uh, a $2 billion business through their dorm rooms, through connections, um, and through their their understanding of digital media. But I also found it pretty interesting that I knew things about traditional media that could amplify Reddit. And so I became obsessed with working on Reddit at Condé Nast, whereas most of the young women on my floor were much more excited about going to the fall fashion shows for style.com, as they should be. It's New York Fashion Week, and, and I can understand that and appreciate that. I was home at night listening to podcasts and trying to become a tech geek, and eventually did. Um, I went to the New York Times after Condé Nast and was lucky enough to become the first manager of digital partnerships and social media, which meant we were the first brand, collectively, we as a team, on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Foursquare, YouTube, Vimeo, and a bunch of social media companies. What year was this now? 2007 to 2009. And we we were positioned first on all of these amazing social media platforms. And it was my job to be sort of the newsroom gal who understood Digital, digital literacy and how to be a digital native for an aspirational, again, um, but at this point, 160-year-old news media organization. And as the kid in the newsroom, I was also teaching journalists who were, again, my heroes, still are, um, like Nick Kristoff, um, like Andrew Sorkin, how to better use Twitter and Facebook, again, to disseminate their news information to a rabid readership. And so it was three jobs in a row that were quite literally the same, only iterating with how media was changing in real time. And from there, doing that for three years, which I could talk about at length, um, I will just say that I fell in love with entrepreneurship. You know, I was running around New York City and Silicon Valley with um, very well-known founders. And some of them can now go by one name. That's how well-known they've become. And I was looking at rooms of, of, again, mostly young men who were creating platforms used by everyone I knew. And they were changing the world, changing politics, changing uh, the landscape of digital media uh, with each given day. And as inspired as I was and as excited as I was to understand this change and be at the forefront of it, I was also quite um, dismayed by how few women were in the room. And how I could go to conferences, which I think back then were called TechCrunch 50, now TechCrunch Disrupt, and and literally look at a sea 
of chairs and not see a woman. So I knew I wanted to become an entrepreneur through these friendships and these conversations that I was having for my work. Um, but I did not have the risk appetite that my male peers at that time did. And I've learned now since uh, in my older and wiser days that actually that's conditioned into women from a very young age. And so it's it it took me um, probably three years at the New York Times to realize I had the chutzpah to quit my job to go work for one of those gentlemen, uh, which I'm very glad I did. Um, in retrospect, I sort of wish I'd quit my job to start it on my own back then. I became an entrepreneur at age 26 uh, when I left the New York Times to join a friend's cloud computing company, which six months later, thanks to his team and mainly thanks to his prowess, was acquired by Facebook. And about a month later – So you were working at the company at the time that it sold. Exactly. Did you have any equity? Um, I did not because I did not know how to negotiate equity for myself. But that's on me. And actually – now, these days, I spend a lot of time coaching young women entering into startups for the first time on how to negotiate their equity package, which I admit saying on a podcast scares me because I already get a lot of emails <laughs> about this um, at Trail Mix from our founders. And But um, but I do think there should be more video content online, um, which maybe one day my team and I can create, kind of explaining the ABCs of equity specifically to minorities and young women. Um, I think we have a disadvantage there on understanding how to navigate that front. Uh, some friends and I in Silicon Valley then co-founded an app called Food Spotting. At one point, we were considered Apple and Wired's app of the year. Um, I every now and then run into someone who loves that. I was definitely app. on there. You're on it? Oh, yes, yes, yes. See, every now and then. Um, Mostly you meet chefs who loved it because um, what Food Spotting was known for was helping people discover great dishes, not mm -hmm. just great restaurants. I loved taking pictures of food. I still do. Oh, I just I don't do post too. it what as do you much take as photos I, of? I take whenever I'm going to a new restaurant and the, and the food looks great or it's plated nicely. I just take a picture, especially if I'm going and trying a tasting menu. I feel like it's part of the experience to take a picture of every single course. Yeah. I, and I agree. But I don't post it anymore because, I don't know, it just feels weird. So I think maybe maybe that was a shortcoming of the app. I mean, I also love taking photos of food, but I, I mainly thought of it as a repository, a database, an archive of great dishes, almost like a tool for travelers. And uh, what was really cool about the app is even if you didn't speak Japanese, for instance, you could be in Japan and using geolocation, look for where one might find some fantastic sashimi. Or if you're in Italy, you know, where do you go for the best cacio e pepe? And I mean, I, I, I miss that app. Um, OpenTable acquired the company. That was great for those of us on the team. Um, but certainly I would encourage any entrepreneur listening to this, any entrepreneurista listening to this, um, to consider bringing it back because, um, you know, there's some great ideas that arrive maybe a little too soon or, or maybe sell to people. They don't know what to do with it. And, um, that's one app that I, I, I would like to have back on my phone, <laughs> obviously with bias. And then, um, uh, became an angel investor. How long were you running that company before you sold to So I wasn't Open running Table? it. It was run by a wonderful okay. and fantastic CEO. Her name's Alexa. Um, I was a co-founder, the third, in fact, to join the team. But uh, the start to finish, my tenure there was maybe two years. I mean, it felt like a flash in the pan. The company itself much longer. Um, two of the co-founders went to Open Table after the acquisition and stayed there, too, to make sure that the, the app was in great hands. And so... I think I was additive to food spotting and helping to create brand awareness and helping to solidify some initial partnerships that really move the needle for the company. But if anything, it was the world's best training ground for starting a company on my own later. Um, so this part I'll go through quickly. I became an angel investor, and, and I admit that's not the sexiest thing to hear on a podcast. It's like it sounds very elitist. I'll take a step back and say that um, I was born in Harlem, New York. Um, my father is a philosopher and a poet. He drove a cab, um, you know, to make an honest living. And I think that's a very unusual route for someone in VC. If you look at the traditional well-known VCs, um, now it's changing a little bit. There's some diversity in my industry, but, but 10 years ago, certainly, um, it was hard to come across someone who had a similar background. My mother's a college professor, um, 
she's the smartest person I've ever met in my life. Growing up, we had three newspapers delivered to our house every morning, but conveniently, the business section was always missing. <laughs> we were not a house that discussed business at length. So this is my preamble to becoming an angel investor, because for me, I started investing out of necessity. Um, back in 2011, uh, I noticed some incredible female entrepreneurs and men um, who were having a hard time raising capital for what seemed like really brilliant ideas. And I had just enough money in my bank account to buy a New York City apartment. But again, my risk tolerance had increased at this point. My confidence bolstered. Instead of wanting to do that safe thing, um, without thinking it could be a career later, I knew that I just wanted to invest in these bold and brilliant ideas. They inspired me. They still inspire me. And so the first check I wrote was to my friend Shane Snow, who's now a very well-known author. Um, he has books out like um, Shortcuts, which I read and loved, and I think I blurbed. Uh, so my first angel investment was in his company, Contently, which is a marketplace that helps freelance journalists connect with brands that might want to pay for sponsored content. And um, the second one, I think, was in my friend Britt Morin's company, Britt & Co., which is a media marketplace for um, ambitious, creative, talented women. Still is. It's an awesome company. Mm -hmm. um, and the third angel in check I wrote was into a company called Casper, um, the mattress business. Three great choices. How, you really picked winners. So I, I'm being honest when I said that was number one, two, and three. All three of them are still thriving, kicking. In fact, I got emails in my inbox from all three of them this week. Um but I think it's important to mention those were my first three back in 2011, 2012, because um, – and maybe Casper came in 13, actually. But because uh, it took me six years to even put on my LinkedIn profile that I invested, to admit to anyone that I was an investor. I had massive imposter syndrome that in order to become a great investor, Courtney, you would need to look and sound like the men in Patagonia vests who – you know, um, line the halls of, of Sand Hill Road. And Sand Hill Road, for anyone listening who doesn't know, is a very wealthy street <laughs> in the suburbs of San Francisco, um, uh, not too far from Palo Alto, California, where Facebook is famously headquartered. Um, and uh, billions upon billions of dollars um, are housed on one row, um, which is the equivalent of a very fancy shopping mall. And inside these glass corridors um, with very delicious chocolates and salted caramels at the front desk, you're almost always greeted by a lovely and talented receptionist. Sometimes she has an MBA. And then behind her are um, offices most frequently um, occupied by anywhere between four and 15 men who um, have single-handedly invented the industry that um, we now think of as technology. And single-handedly meaning collectively their hands, all-handedly. Um, <laughs> it's not an environment that makes you feel like it's an easy club to break into. And I say this without cynicism. I have incredible respect for these gentlemen who built and paved and, some, and in some cases bulldozed um, an industry for the rest of us to then be a part of. Um, that industry now feels a lot more inclusive than it did 10 years ago, Courtney. But when I was an angel investing and maybe taking timidly some meetings there um, to talk to these firms about how I could potentially become one of them, it was difficult to figure out how to break into that club. New York was different. New York in the 2008 to 2012 era, you saw a lot of really fantastic younger investors who looked a little bit more indie rock looked a little bit more like me, still men, but different, diverse, um, open to conversation, open to giving you the playbook to how this industry works. And so I began angel investing in my friends, which was advice given to me by a terrific investor about eight years ago. He said, if you have a good network, that's where you should start. And and then I it evolved from there. It evolved through through reading and learning and talking and trying to teach myself the ropes of an industry that wouldn't teach those ropes to me. How did you decide what to invest in? Did you say no or were those the first three opportunities that came your way? Were you that lucky? 
Well, I mean, I don't know because those are, I mean, those companies are fantastic. Those founders are brilliant, but none of those companies have had liquidity moments as we call them in investment. Um, they've neither sold nor, nor gone public, nor should they. They're in very capable hands. So I'm often the first to remind folks that there's a lot of glitz and glamour to this industry, a lot of marketing and marketing dollars spent. Um, the, wheel, the real winners, I suppose you could say, are, are founders that have exited their company successfully um, and are happy with that exit. So one such exit happened yesterday. I was very proud to be um, an angel investor in Gimlet Media. And given that we're here talking about podcasting and entrepreneurism, that feels fitting to mention. And, um, you know, I can't, I, I don't really know Alex very well. I know Matt um, as an acquaintance socially, more so than I got to work with him professionally. I helped a little bit. I tried to help. They didn't really need my help. They were on a rocket ship. But that's an example of a company that you're so proud to back because it's it's very mission aligned with what I care about, you know, the future of media and um, and producing quality content, just like you're producing here, Courtney, um, that people actually want in their lives. So to answer your question, how did I know what to invest in? It began with that advice, invest in your friends. And then it matured and evolved over time into find unique strategies that others aren't seeing, uh, investing in women being one, and listen to a founder and, and, and give them thoughtful feedback. Find Find partnerships in the companies that you can invest in. Make sure that there's a value you can add. It's so boring to just write a check. Capital is a commodity. But if you feel like you can add something of value, having been a founder myself before, um, oftentimes these relationships themselves mature into, um, I don't know, very fruitful ones. Coming up, Soraya's new team, new venture, and investing in exciting ideas. Hi, entrepreneurs! You know I am always here to provide you with as much value as possible. So I wanted to be sure that you have access to the Entrepreneurista Agenda, our weekly newsletter where we share the latest business news, success stories, grant opportunities, as well as all of our favorite resources and special offers for founders just like you. You can sign up to join our weekly newsletter and join over 50,000 other entrepreneurs over at entrepreneurs.com forward slash newsletter. That's entrepreneurs.com slash newsletter to subscribe to the Entrepreneurs Agenda. What was the moment when you realized that trail mix ventures had to happen? The moment I, we, my team, and I realized trail mix had to happen was three years ago when we collectively, um, three former entrepreneurs, took a step back and said to ourselves, what are the macro trends we're seeing in our industry? What are the companies that aren't just receiving financing for financing's sake? You know, take out all the cryptocurrencies and um, the cannabis companies that we love but are, were very buzzworthy at the time and still are. What are we seeing as, as general trends? And also, are those mirroring, because we're, we're millennials ourselves, trends that we're seeing as, in terms of behaviors of our generation? And so we started doing some whiteboard research about big macro trends that were affecting us and our friends. First one that came up was student debt. You know, three years ago, people were saying in America, student debt is is roughly around $620 billion right now, which is larger than all credit card debt combined in America. But actually, forecasters are saying that number is going to near a trillion dollars um, in the coming years. So, okay, so that's a big number. A trillion dollars is more than, you know, the GDP of Latin America. But how do we how do we break down those numbers into what it actually means for our generation? It means that all of our friends have debt, so they're delaying buying homes. In many cases, uh, you know, they're delaying parenthood, which means they're delaying marriage. Also, they're seeing these these things that were part of the American dream for our parents and our grandparents, especially, as being out of touch and not reachable. Whereas in past generations, you'd graduate from school if you were so lucky to go to uh, you know higher education, and you'd leave with a feeling of optimism. 
But we were noticing that despite this being a generation laden with debt, a lot of our friends and ourselves included, we had disposable income to spend on experiences and we had disposable income to spend on wellness. And so in breaking wellness down, which of course is the main theme of Trail Mix Ventures Fund One, uh, we believe wellness to be taking care of ourselves and others and further kind of Getting into specifics, we believe in companies and ideas and innovations affecting our bodies, our minds, our spirituality, and um, our caregiving best uh, practices. And so, you know, student debt is what started it all. And then segueing into kind of themes around family and the themes around homeowning and how our generation didn't seem to be wanting homes. And then we started looking at the, the trends around how our generation didn't really want to work for large companies any longer. And certainly we weren't staying at companies for more than two, three years at a time. Um, this is where companies like WeWork and Later the Wing, our, our second investment came into play. The 1099 economy, as it's called, uh, was often conflated with what venture capitalists used to call the gig economy. 1099 economy probably pertains to at least half of us in this room right now. And I'm in a room, for those of you who can't see, uh, of six people. Um, it's it's what happens when instead of being paid by your employer and them withholding taxes, you have multiple lines of income. Uh, maybe you consult. And the 1099 economy certainly um, – received a lot of attention five, six years ago, eight years ago, thanks to companies like Uber and TaskRabbit and one of my investments, Glam Squad, which allowed service providers on their own terms to make extra money on the side um, to continue to fulfill their goals of working and living and not working to live um, necessarily, but also not to live to work. So we at Trailmix said, well, the 1099 economy seems to be as big of a trend as the gig economy. What do those businesses look like? And we work being the obvious example. You know, you might become an entrepreneur, uh, leave your day job at American Express or Goldman Sachs or any number of companies, and then go to WeWork and want to pay $300 per desk per month to um, not have to handle a cumbersome long-term lease. That's one way in which the 1099 economy is is, is basically parlaying itself into a startup. But if you look at the wing, for instance, the first or second investment Trailmix made, um, for us, it was as much about the necessity of wanting flexible workspace as it was wanting to invest in a company that focused on community and community building and wanting to give a leg up to the biggest population of the 1099 economy, which is easy to guess, are women. Um, more than that, we loved how diversity played a big part in the ethos and the theses of the wing from day one. Um, you know, I met uh, one of the founders, Audrey, before the company launched and uh, having an inclusive and diverse work environment where women could support each other was maybe the very first conversation over coffee she and I ever had. And that resonates with me because I think it's a shame that in this country, 1,400 businesses a day are started by black women, and they are the least likely segment of America to receive venture financing. So there's a disconnect between the industrious women of America starting businesses and the venture dollars that I mentioned before on Sand Hill Road going to those same persons. Um, so Audrey herself is a white woman, but she's passionate and progressive, and, and I just knew, maybe it's the first time in my career, that I wanted to back someone within a first meeting. So going back to Trailmix, we are a fund that invests in purpose-driven companies addressing the caregiving economy as it pertains to wellness. How did you select your co-founders? How did you meet them? Why did you go into business me. <laughs> with them? Um, they definitely selected me, and I'm, I'm glad they did. Marina Haji Pateras, which is about as easy to pronounce as Soraya Dharati. Um, <laughs> is a friend of mine from Georgetown University. We studied abroad in Italy together. And she's magnificent. She um, worked for her family business, which is um, a 200-year-old maritime business based in Athens, Greece, and the U.S. Um, from an early age, right out of college. In fact, she even was so badass as to get her sea merchant's license and to oh, wow. live on a ship in South Korea. <laughs> 
wearing scrubs, uh, doing hard labor, um, because her father, rightly so, said, if you want to work for the family business, you've, you've got to do it the way everybody else does. Um, and Marina, flash forward six years later, helped take her family business public on the New York Stock Exchange in 2014. Uh, she has an investor relations background, which is sort of the crucial part of financing that you you really can't sacrifice. Um, I am an entrepreneur, and I, I believe that I've become a student of venture capital. I'm very grateful to be working with someone who has um, a sound mind for logistics and for very carefully dotting all my I's and crossing all of our T's. Will Nathan, our other partner, uh, founding partner, co-founded a company called Home Polish. Have you heard of it? Yes, yes. I hope you try it. Will and I, I met. haven't tried it yet, but I but I need to. I will fix that. I hope. <laughs> Maybe this office. This office. Well, is very actually, beautiful. we are in the process of redecorating our there current office. This isn't our office. Our office is on 29th and Seventh. So, Home Polish will be contacting them. Nice. Um, so, Will and I met um, because I was putting together uh, an investment um, with another with for myself and with some others for Home Polish's Series A run, and uh, it took a year to get the deal done. Um, Noah Santos, the co-founder and CEO of Home Polish, and I took most of our meetings together. But towards the end of my year with Noah, he said, you know, I really can't approve you to work with us on this company without Will signing off. And he's a tough critic. And Will and I met and we just really hit it off. And in fact, we realized as, as deeply fascinated as we are with business from an academic standpoint, we also have pretty similar creative sides. So we joined a book club together, Will and I. Um, and, uh, we both bought a hundred books at once from our local indie bookstores, the times top 100 novels list, and tried to tear through one a month for our first few months of getting to know each other. Um, I think it was in month three when we were reading Joan Didion's play it as it lays, um, over breakfast at dirty French, um, <laughs> downtown that we realized we probably wanted to work together. He was moving into a board role at home polish after five years of successfully scaling their company into what's now a 100 million plus dollar marketplace for interior design. Did he already know Maria or you introduced everyone? Marina and I um, knew each other first and then I introduced Will to Marina. We took many meetings together and the name Trail Mix came about because we booked a um, rental upstate in Hudson, New York, got together and started to toss around these ideas that I just mentioned to you. Um, but back then, these ideas were not as eloquent. <laughs> um, I didn't have all the talking points and the sound bites. We just knew, like, oh, generally our friends are leaving jobs and they have a lot of debt. Um, but they still spend money on SoulCycle and Peloton. <laughs> uh, and it was in the woods that we realized that we wanted to be a seed fund, hence Trailmix Ventures. We wanted to be additive to any founder on their journey. So we call Trailmix the nutrients you need to take you on your journey. Something special in the pocket that is not necessarily guiding you. We don't have the pretense to say we know everything that you don't. But it can be scary out there and it can be lonely. And if we're a fund that invests in wellness, we have to, you know, drink our own Kool-Aid. Terrible metaphor if you know the origins <laughs> of that metaphor. But we have to. And um, our goal at, at Trail Mix is really to um, help founders on their spiritual journey um, not in a kumbaya sense, but as friends and as family members. And so we'll write a first check into a business and we will help you shape your business model. We will help you with your go-to-marketing strategy. We will help you with your financing from other people. We will help you tell your story better. Uh, but most importantly, uh, we want to be your first phone call when things are not going right. Um, and that's what are, the, what are your typical deal sizes? We invest uh, half a million dollars into a company on average at a $2.5 to $5 billion pre-money valuation. And again, I don't know how wonky you want me to get on this podcast, but what that basically means, listeners, <laughs> is that uh, we like to own 10% of a company. We think owning more than that initially is too much of a company for an investor to own. And that's not fair to the founders. But um, but we do want to work our way up to larger ownership through a seed round of financing and a Series A, ideally, if you, the founder, think that we are worth rewarding with um, more of your business. And then, of course, we put more capital to work. We keep reinvesting in companies that will have us. The longer that we reinvest, the longer we can spend working side by side with these entrepreneurs, um, helping to unfold, like pulling back layers of an onion, um, the different elements, the different dynamics of the business that, that need to be worked on. 
Do all three of you have to align before a, a deal can move forward? We do. And we actually have a fourth partner, too, a venture partner named Evan, who was just promoted to partner. He's incredible. Evan Ray, he um, co-founded Swift Media, which was the world's first emoji keyboard, and sold it to Monotype, which is publicly list- listed on NASDAQ. And Evan's honestly the smartest of all of us. Um, and so it, in the beginning, um, it had to be a three-way vote, Soraya, Will, Marina, and now it has to be a four-way vote. Um, for Fund One. Our team is evolving. Uh, Will is soon to launch his new startup, which is in stealth mode right now. We are proud backers of it personally. The fund can't be. That would be a conflict of interest. But we are personally massively supportive of what he's building. He just moved to L.A. And so the fund is continuing to grow with Evan increasing his role. And and we're looking also to the future and hoping that we bring in even more partners to on this ride with us how often do you disagree or how Um, many deals are you looking at typically in a year we look at about 12 a week it's a lot it's a lot and and that's fewer than the number of decks uh, were sent by friends of ours in the industry which could be other venture capitalists founders in our portfolio the majority of the investors in our fund are actually founders themselves founders of very big companies uh, like Casper, companies that we've backed prior to starting the fund. And so those founders are even more entrenched in the ecosystem than we are uh, because the best thing you can do for yourself if you are starting a company to the entrepreneurs listening is you can create a social network of other people who are on different legs of the journey, um, helping the people who are behind you and turning to the people who are in front of you for advice and feedback. So... We, how often do we disagree? Oh, I can't name the companies, but um, I did have a mwahaha moment not too long ago (laughs) because a deal that one of my male partners passed on because he didn't understand if potentially uh, trying on bathing suits and going to the beach would be an adverse experience for a woman. And we said to my my male partner, um, actually, if we could get all the hours in our lives back that we spent looking at ourselves in mirrors of shopping malls or in our bedrooms, trying on different swimsuits before going to the beach um, collectively as women, as a gender in America, we probably would have, you know, figured out a way to um, reduce all pollution on earth. And so and I'm not I'm not speaking hyperbolically. That's, that's a lot of hours of our lives. Um, so there's a wellness brand in the swim category that we're now investing in proudly. Um, because after many conversations with our partner, we were able to convince him that we're right. And <laughs> it doesn't always come down to who's right, who's wrong. But there is an unconscious bias, which luckily I work with two men who are so progressive and so cool. But there's an unconscious bias to investing where you kind of speak to your experiences. And he was saying, I didn't know people felt insecure in swimsuits. Why would investing in a body conscious swimsuit brand be a thing? And that was an opportunity for us with two women at the helm of the investment committee to say, please, can we speed dial any woman in our (laughs) phone right now to tell you what this is actually like? Um, This is why there needs to be succinctly more women in venture capital. I agree. Up next, a surprise, a brainstorm, and Soraya's secrets of success. common theme from all of the guests we've interviewed on our podcast so far is that they've all relied on support from other women through groups. So we decided to start an Entreprenista Facebook group. Head on over to Facebook and search Entreprenistas. We really wanted to create a community for Entreprenistas to connect, share ideas, help each other solve problems, and learn from all of our collective experiences. If you join the group, it's really a safe space to talk about being an entrepreneur, sharing your wins, asking for help when needed, It's going to be an exciting 2019, and we can't wait to meet you so we can learn and grow together. So something that Stephanie and I like to do is surprise and delight our guests, which is actually something that we always recommend to our clients. Uh, We love that they reward their their social media following. So we actually have a surprise for you (gasps) in your Entrepreneurista swag bag right over there. So open it up and take a look because we stalked you on your Instagram. You did. (laughs) Hopefully we got it right. Okay, first of all. Um, I love journals, and I will use this one proudly. I'll show you how I'm at the tail end of a journal. So having an entrepreneurista journal has just made my day. 
Um, thank you. Perfect. Thank you. That was not the surprise, but I'm glad that you love it. And thank you for your book on the Entrepreneur's Guide to Using Social Media. I could definitely use a refresher. Sometimes people think incorrectly that I can help them with their social media. I'm terrible on Twitter. <laughs> no, I'm terrible. It's been a long time since and I studied the rules. it's changing every day. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I was... Oh, it's in the envelope. Oh, it's in the envelope. There it is. That's oh, okay. where, where I'm, I'm it is. I'm grateful for those two things. <laughs> okay. This is too much. Uh, why seven... Oh, yes. the yoga studio. Yes. Okay, I'm dying to try it. Okay, good, I'm good. dying to. Thank you so much. I actually know Marina, my business partner at Trail Mix, is very good at this class. So I'll, I'll bring her along so yeah, I don't Yeah, you guys foolish. can do it together. If you, if you stand next to someone who's very good, you don't look as foolish. <laughs> um, thank you. That is really thoughtful. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, so, Soraya, you have accomplished a lot. At what point will you say, I'm done? I've done everything I wanted to do. Oh, see, I think I'm at the very beginning. You're I, just getting started. That's oh, what I always I have say. unbridled ambition. Um, I mean, I, I did have a talk with my, my partners at the firm. And again, it's cool that we're two women, two men. And I said, okay, guys, we're about to embark on Fund 2. Uh, fund 1 has a 40% IRR, which is a good metric in our industry. Uh, our founders seem to be happy. Our investors seem to be happy. Um, for transparency, what's coming up in everybody's lives? Like, what's the side hustle? There can't be a side hustle. And uh, and then I realized I was being a hypocrite because I definitely want to start a family soon. And I think it's really important, especially when you're an entrepreneur, um, to embrace the elements of your life that you want openly and not to be afraid of that and not not to be afraid to say that out loud um, as a woman in business, especially um, because we're holding ourselves back if we try to hide from a different type of ambition, family ambition. Um, I was on a panel last night with the fabulous founders of Shine Text. I don't know if you've no, I haven't it. heard of that. Yeah, uh, so I'm seeing some nods in this room. Really <laughs> incredible app that texts you positive messages every morning. It's it's a wellness app. Oh, I definitely need that. It's and my so business cool. partner Stephanie, she'll she'll love that too. Mara and Naomi are the founders, and they are so open about how they have created a company and a culture that allows their employees to embrace family and personal time and. How we all agreed on this panel last night that it's harming us as a society to talk about, um, you know, ambition in kind of an old school Wall Street way. Like, um, you know, sleep is overrated is something I hear a lot in Silicon Valley, as an example. Actually, it's not. There are amazing books like Why We Sleep that talk about the health advantages to sleep, um, the neuroscience benefits to sleep. And also how not having sleep can cause later in life elements of depression and will actually on a day-to-day -day basis really hinder your work and your performance. Yeah. Every time I listen to Ariana Huffington, she's always going on and on about how important sleep is. So yeah. I'm with you there. She runs a wellness business. Another good example of how wellness is everywhere. Thrive Global is absolutely wellness. And so um, it was important for me to have this conversation with my partners because uh, as as we're discussing the kind of culture we'd like to create as, as Trail Mix Ventures grows into a bigger fund too and, and a bigger platform for founders in the ecosystem, we'd also like to be purveyors of a conversation around what does balance actually look like? Well, it's not taking a vacation every week. It's actually setting aside a time for yourself to know what you want in life um, and to pursue that happiness at the same rate that you're pursuing you know, the KPIs and the OKR goals for your team. So we had that conversation and, um, you know, when I look forward to my twilight years and looking back, you know, saying, ah, now I'm done. I, I hope that philanthropy and family pay as large of a role in my life as, you know, right now what looks at face value like capitalistic interest. I love that. I love that. What would you say is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? And I know you've talked about investing in your friends, but is there any other piece of advice that you would want to pass along to the future entrepreneurs? I'll, I'll give three short pieces of advice. So yes, uh, invest in your friends. That's, I mean, that's, that's advice for the 1%, I suppose. Um, but it made sense for me at the time to listen to that because I was not in the insiders club. Um, better advice probably comes from my mother who always reminds me um, that in the morning everything feels better. It's so simple, but it's so true. 
whatever problem we feel like we have in the moment will probably be erased by sunshine the next day. She tells me that she's been saying that to me since sleepaway camp when I wanted to come <laughs> home early. Um, and then I keep a quote next to my bed by the industrial designer Ames. And it simply says, eventually, comma, everything connects, period. And uh, my advice to the listeners on this podcast is that eventually everything connects. You don't have to work against inertia. You don't have to race to a finish line. I certainly had a lot of frantic energy at the beginning of my career. No shocker there. Um, (laughs) But I've calmed down a hell of a lot. And I actually think when you think about everything that you want to think about in a given day at work, when you think about problems in your your social life, uh, you know, miscommunication within your family, if you think about, um, you know, the chaos happening uh, thanks to this current administration, all the things that can, like, really hold us back, um, just remember that everything does connect and um, it's important to be an activist. It's important to have your opinion heard. It's important to resolve disagreements, but it's also sometimes equally important to just let things happen as they will. I love that. I love that. Speaking of that, what would you say is the biggest mistake you've ever made that you just had to stand back and just let things play out? I mean, it's funny because when you talk about various work accomplishments or ambitions um, publicly, it can seem like everything's been rosy, but I actually think there's not one. There's not one answer to that question. I've had dozens of stumbling blocks. Um, one of my mentors in the industry, when I told him I wanted to start a fund four years ago, said to me, it's okay, Soraya, everyone has false starts. And I wanted to cry. I said, false starts? No, everything I've done leading up to this moment has been to create a wealth of information that I want to resurface for other entrepreneurs so it's easier for them in the future. But only later did I realize what he meant, which is, and it's now almost a meme, with failure comes knowledge. Yeah, I definitely learned the hard way many times and have to remind myself that it's all, all life is just a big learning lesson. You've got to roll with the punches. Something that we always do on the podcast is a brainstorm. So typically, Stephanie and I will brainstorm back and forth with each other. But today, you've got me. Uh, so we'll typically put a minute on the clock, and you can ask me anything, pick my brain on anything, and oh, I'll just fun. shoot out some random ideas and just put me on the spot. This is so fun. I didn't know this was coming. Okay. <laughs> All right, Courtney. Um, Courtney, how do you think about self-care? How do I think about self-care? It's interesting because you were just talking about memes and the first thing that comes to my mind is a meme that I saw earlier today because I'm constantly on social media and it was about, you know, doing the typical self-care things like um, working out or, you know, taking care of your skin and then on the flip side, it's eating all the bad foods that you like. So self-care can mean a lot of different things. It can mean actually like taking care of yourself and being healthy and it can also be mean you know, allowing yourself to indulge and overeat and drink too much and do whatever it is that you need to do in that moment to make you happy. I love that. Um, Tell me about your favorite advancement in the world of wellness that I might not have heard of yet. You might not have heard of yet. I think that I've learned so much from you. I don't know if there's anything that you haven't heard of yet. You know about Y7. It was very thoughtful. That's true. That's true. I mean, advancement in 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 wellness. It could um, be organic beauty. It could be a workout class. Oh, actually, uh, we just had uh, her on the podcast, uh, Tina from Lolly Beauty. Mm. So, have you heard of Lolly no, Beauty? No, excited. I like so, yeah, definitely check it out. It's all organic products. Everything. There's. I don't believe there's any plastic. It's all, um, it's all, you know, very good for you and all great products. That's so and I, smart. Um, yeah, I definitely recommend that you, that you check her out. And her story, we actually, I think we already posted her podcast. Listen to it because she's fascinating. I will, and I'll probably buy something from Lolly. I'm an investor in Luxme, L-X-M-I, uh, Beauty, which is sourced from East Africa, the ingredients are, and uh, made sustainably, sold um, both online and off, and also Pete Rivko, which is um, an organic, sensitive skin product that's sort of like a modern clearosol. And the idea there was to back 
organic beauty brands because there aren't enough. I'm a big fan of True Botanicals and Tata Harper, but there really aren't enough sort of mainstream brands. And our skin is our largest organ. And so I love that you just introduced me to Lolly. Thank you. Yes, definitely check her out and listen to that podcast because I remember I could have talked to her for hours and hours. She had so many good stories. Uh, and lastly, uh, what does being an entrepreneurista mean to you? An entrepreneurista is a woman um, or young woman who is trailblazing a path for herself in a way that paths have not been blazed before. I 100% agree. Thank you so much for joining me here today. Oh, Courtney, thank you for having me. Can it was a lot of fun. Please tell everyone, how can they contact you? How can they follow you? Are oh. you on Instagram? Well, okay. Um, my first name at Soraya, S-O-R-A-Y-A on Instagram is probably the easiest way. Uh, if you want to pitch a business to Trailmix, we encourage you to write to hi at trailmix.vc and always on Twitter at Soraya Darabi. So if you Google how to spell my name, you can pretty much find me on Twitter. This is Mouth Media Network. <laughs> well, thank you again the for business joining of us. Lifestyle. I'm Courtney, and this is the best business meeting I've ever had. Entreprenista is produced by Mouth Media Network for Socialfly. Copyright 2019, Socialfly, all rights reserved. Thanks for listening. Hey, Entrepreneistas, it's Steph here. Do you want to experience what it's like to be part of our Entrepreneista League community of founders? Now is your chance. New member open enrollment begins on June 10th, and so does our Experience Week. I really want you to have the opportunity to experience what it's like to be part of the most supportive community that will be here to support you at all stages of your business journey during our Experience Week. This will be a five-day virtual event series, and it starts on Monday, June 10th through Friday, June 14th. You're going to get access to live networking and learning events, business growth strategies, as well as office hours with Kim Corral, who is a CEO and serial entrepreneurista, as well as a prominent angel investor. You will also get access to a session on how to win grants with Kat Weaver and Katie Dunn, founders of Power to Pitch. Plus, our mentor, Carrie Kirpin, will be teaching a session all about how to build a profitable business that can sell for more money. And of course, I'll be hosting two info and networking sessions where you can really get an inside look at all of the exclusive benefits and resources that are offered only inside of our Entrepreneurial League community. Plus, you'll have the chance to meet and build relationships with current members. You can register today for Experience Week over at entrepreneurista.com forward slash experience week. That's entrepreneurista.com forward slash experience week to join us for a week of free virtual events. I cannot wait to meet you and be part of your business journey.